Welcome to The Megan Kelly Show, your home for open, honest, and provocative conversations. Hey everyone, I'm Megan Kelly. Welcome to The Megan Kelly Show. Happy Good Friday and Passover to all who celebrate. In just a bit, I'm going to be joined with Dennis Prager. I'm so glad to have him here. My goodness, uh, we need somebody with his brilliance to help us sum up this historic week. Uh, as we look at the state of America, not just after the arrest of former President Trump, but the insanity with what is happening coast to coast now when it comes to free speech and shutdowns of attempted speech and the Republicans, in some instances, trying to push back. On that note, we begin today with a broadcast exclusive interview with Ian Howarth. Ian was on a college campus this week from my own hometown to talk about how free speech is being destroyed on college campuses. It is not being respected, to put it mildly. That is, before he was interrupted and shut down by angry protesters. Ian is a columnist for The Washington Examiner and host of Off Limits, and he joins me now. Ian, thank you for being here. Thank you so much for having me. So you go to SUNY Albany. That is where my dad taught for many years of my young life. That's why we moved from Syracuse to Albany, so he could take that job. I grew up a stone's throw from there in a small suburb called Delmar uh, for my middle school and high school years. And I'm appalled, appalled at how the people in this university that my dad loved behaved. It was absolutely disgusting. So before we roll the tape, set it up for us. Why were you there? Well, I was there, ironically, to speak about the merits of free speech and why free speech is dying on campus. And so honestly, if you were trying to demonstrate exactly what I was warning about, you couldn't have planned it any better. So ironic, but really, really sad to see, as you said. So you go to speak about free speech and were, were you there on behalf of um, Turning Point USA or with TPUSA? Yes. Okay. Yeah, I was invited so that- by the Turning Point USA chapter at the University of Albany. So do you think that was where what flagged for them? that you'd be a fun person to protest? Yeah, I think it's one of many things. Uh, One is obviously there's a lot of attention around TPUSA because they dare to go on college campuses and speak vague truths sometimes. And uh, people on the left don't don't tend to like that on campus. There's also the idea that I'm a transphobe. I think a lot of people saw signs with my face on it, did a very, very quick Google search and saw that I, for example, support biological reality and I oppose the mutilation of children. And that really is all it took to set people off. I think the the transgender issue is what they claim to be at the center of this protest. I think a lot of it is they simply don't like any idea that goes against theirs. And this is just one of many examples that we're seeing on college campuses today. Sometimes it seems to me they don't know what they're protesting. They they, they want to be like the civil rights protesters, but they really have no beef. So they show up there and they chant some vague slogan and somehow they feel powerful. You got up there, tried to speak to who, who invited you? Like what group were you speaking to? It was the Turning Point USA group. Okay, so it was that chapter on the college campus. So they're there. And how many people were in the room, would you say? Oh, I'd say um, well over 100. It was uh, packed to capacity. I think they were worried about the fire code at one point. But it was also hard to know how many were protesters and how many people were there. Not who necessarily agreed with me, but just wanted to hear me speak and ask questions. The Q&A is always the fun bit once I'm done talking. And I'm very open and ask people who disagree with me to come forward and ask questions. And so there are a lot of people there hoping to actually engage in debate. I got a lot of messages afterwards of people apologizing for the behavior, but also saying how disappointed they were that they couldn't actually engage in the debate that I think is so sorely needed. 
Mm-hmm. So this is um, just a bit of video of what happened to you uh, by these so-called activists who tried to shut you down. I'm sorry, just an anecdotal observation, but why are the people who do this almost universally unattractive? I'm sorry, but it's true. Well, I think that what's so strange is that they all rely on just either empty threats or really ad hominem attacks, nothing else. There was no substance. The only thing that was even vaguely ideological was the fact they were saying trans rights are human rights, but no one could explain what trans rights are. Honestly, like, I think the funniest chant was no cops, no KKK, no TPUSA, when I'm a Jewish immigrant and I don't think the KKK are exactly falling over themselves to invite me to be in any way affiliated with them. And so there was just <laughs> no basis to truth in anything they said, but it was just all fueled by anger. Uh, but also, if we're all Nazis, as they say we the, um, as they say we are, they didn't exactly pause when they were shoveling the pizza provided by TPUSA down their throats. And so, oh really, there gosh. was no basis of reality to anything they were pushing. It was just children having a tantrum, and I think it says a lot of about really the college environment that they are allowed to behave this way and get away with it. I don't think anything mm-hmm. is actually going to happen from this. It's just another example of shutting down free speech, and in some ways, they were successful. I'm sorry. Some of those people could have used a break from from pizza. They did not need extra <laughs> calories. I'm I'm just going to call it out. Like it's universal. They're always unattractive. They're bitter. It's the same people who are the mask Nazis who wanted us to cover up our faces forever, and they're working out their issues on people like you who are trying to spark good faith debates on very difficult issues, which is exactly how we historically have worked through those issues. I understand that. In addition to their pizza shoveling. Uh, they decided it might be a good idea to burn a, or tear up a Bible. What did they do yes. to the Bible? Yeah. So one of the TPUSA members um, had a Bible with them and uh, one of the protesters decided to tear it up because that's what free speech means to them. I think it just shows really at the core of it. They don't care about free speech. This is just about bullying people off campus. Again, destruction of property is a crime, uh, but I doubt anything will happen here. Uh, one can only imagine what would happen if it was, say, a different religion and their um, their prayer books were being torn up. I think it just demonstrates so many levels right now. Right. If something had happened to the Koran, can you imagine? We've seen that in the past. Uh, They say students attended the event as a peaceful demonstration of queer solidarity and joy um, and that their rights to free speech were denied when authorities later removed them so the event could continue. That they were the ones disenfranchised, Ian, once the authorities said, get out. I mean, it's just the victim card, isn't it? Is that they present themselves as victims because they're victims of speech. Uh, speech and violence emerge together so they can use really violent threats, violent actions to defend themselves, supposedly, against speech. And then when consequences come down upon them, as they do for any adult behaving this way, then suddenly they're the victims. They fundamentally don't really know what free speech is, but even if they did, they do not care. It doesn't matter what kind of person I am. It doesn't actually matter whether or not any of their accusations of me are true or false. Anyone who is invited by a college chapter to a public uh, school specifically as well, has the right to speak. And they don't have to listen. 
they certainly um, have the right to protest. I actually supported their right to protest. I think it's great that anyone is engaged in the political space with any passion. The problem is, is when they try to use the heckler's veto to really threaten people, bully people into not speaking, into not hearing other ideas. That's when they cross the line. Did you try to speak at the microphone and this is what you were met with? No, actually, we um, we were talking about that. I was backstage this whole time listening to one of the many glorious insults that I, I've heard better ones since I was five years old, honestly. So it wasn't all that <laughs> offensive. But uh, we were speaking with uh, the law enforcement there and various administration. They didn't want me to go out because they just thought it would rile people up more. They were trying mm-hmm. to calm the situation down. But really, the horse had bolted on that issue. I've been in other college campuses where protests have tried to happen. University of New Mexico is um, a clear example where they had a lot of protection before the speech. And that's really what you've got to do. Once you've got people dancing a conga line around the room, spitting in people's faces, all these kind of things, you can't really bring that back. And so the horse had bolted. I think it was quite clear that the speech wasn't going to go ahead in that room. And so we were forced to go to a different room under police escort and police protection during the second event, which was just ridiculous. This has to happen on a college campus in the United States. It's just absurd. How many security guards did it take to get this thing under control ultimately? I don't actually know. It wasn't that many. Um, We only, I think, had, um, I would say, under a dozen police officers in the end. I certainly wasn't sufficient. I think um, questions need to be asked of the um, the college in terms of preparation and looking forward to the future, this happening elsewhere. Because if things had gotten more out of hand, I'm not sure there were enough people to really hold it back. And that's the danger here. It's very easy for me. I fly in, I give a speech, and then I was out the next day. But a lot of these um, conservative students, not even conservative, students who just want to engage they are these people's neighbors. They shared dorm rooms and dorm buildings with these people. They're under threat every single day. We had multiple people on the chapter uh, in the chapter reaching out to me saying they've been threatened online, that they were harassed after the event. This is an ongoing problem. It's, it's all very well talking about the videos that get a lot of attention on social media, but this is an ongoing daily reality for so many people on college and it needs to get really addressed. In a minute, Dennis Prager is going to come on. We're going to talk about what just happened to Riley Gaines, the swimmer Mm -hmm. uh, who came in. She tied Leah Thomas at the NCAA event. And what just happened to her was similar, only I dare say even worse. She was physically assaulted, say Riley and her and her team. Um, This university, uh, again, SUNY Albany, again, you point out taxpayer funded. I mean, my mom still lives in the state of New York. That's my mother's tax dollars paying for them to shout you down. And on behalf of my mother, I think I can safely say we object. Um, I grew up my whole life in New York. This is absolutely disgusting. And New York has got a healthy collection, by the way, of conservatives in it. Mm -hmm. Uh, Both upstate New York is more red leaning, Staten Island, Long Island. It's not all in Western New York is more uh, right leaning. This is not a, a universally blue town. And so how dare they just just drown out the voices of half the state? That's why New York used to have Republican governors. So the university is saying uh, in a statement given to Fox News, we expect members of our community to be able to voice their views in a manner that promotes constructive dialogues, dialogue and honors the University of Albany's commitment to freedom of expression. That to me sounds like a box check, right? Like, okay, we want we want to honor the commitment to freedom of expression. They go on to say, um, we are equally committed to fostering an environment in which all students feel safe and included and that the right to protest is also protected. What do you make of that, Ian? To me, it sounds like weak sauce. Yes. I mean, they're also making a strong argument. No one is arguing against their right to protest. That was never the issue. No one. Um, as part of the TPUSJ chapter, and certainly not me, said that these people should not be protesting. 
Many of them welcomed it. Many of them thought it was good that we were actually engaging in a debate on an important issue. And so I think the college is engaging in a lot of um, the protesters' rhetoric by claiming that they are under threat, that they don't feel safe. Words do not make you feel unsafe when you're just talking about a political issue. And certainly not someone who's really not that controversial. People seem to think I'm an evil, transphobic, um, hateful person. I'm really not. If you actually listen to a lot of my speeches, I've talked in favor of comp uh, compassion for a lot of transgender people in this political issue. But again, it doesn't matter. This isn't about doesn't making matter. people feel safe. It's really about, as you said, ticking the box so that these protesters won't push any harder. And a lot of these colleges are being held hostage by these students. And that needs to change. Otherwise, they're just being rewarded for this. If they can get mm -hmm. away with shutting down speech, making people feel uncomfortable, we'll talk about feeling safe. Do you think these conservative students on campus feel safe? I don't right, think so. Right, what about them? Right, exactly right. So was there a dean, you know, we saw in the Stanford protest, there was that dean who got up and tried to lecture the judge about, is the juice worth the squeeze? Was there any sort of faculty presence here trying to rein in these protesters? There were a couple of members. Um, I didn't really get to speak to them. They were uh, working with TPUSA and law enforcement. Uh, but again, they didn't really do much. We talked a couple of times about were they like, um, they asked me if I wanted to move rooms. I said, not really. I don't want to move anywhere. I don't want to really give an inch to these people. Eventually, we were forced to under advisement of law enforcement. But beyond trying to find solutions, the solution was removing the students who were being disruptive. In my mind, yeah. that was the solution. But it was quite clear they didn't want to do that. And uh, I think that's, again, the issue is that conservatives and people in the middle who just want to engage in discussion always have to make a step back. And that just encourages the people who are being violent, the people who are being aggressive to keep stepping forward. That's the issue. Moving to another room, yes, yeah, solves it in the short term. But half the people left because they felt under threat. And I understand quite um, considerably why they felt under threat. People were spitting in their faces, swearing at them, flipping them off. It was really awful to watch. And mm -hmm. so the damage was done. Like they achieved their goal. And so having the speech carry on afterwards is good. Yes. But again, they achieved their ultimate mission was to shut down speech and to limit um, the distribution of that speech. And if that doesn't change, then I don't see this issue. Really, I see this issue growing and we'll see it on more campuses every single day. As we are. Uh, yeah, well, you could hear yeah. some of the profanity, some of the vulgarity, uh, just the, the classless base behavior mm -hmm. that these people were engaging in. I'm glad that unlike in some instances, you finally were able to speak. But by that point, as you point out, some of your people who wanted to hear you had gone home. They were under threat. The event was not what it was meant to be. Now, here's the perfect irony. I mean, it's perfect, Ian. Um, now, they these students are upset this is um, from the Daily Mail. After quoting a number of rules in the student handbook, they claimed were violated in the removal of themselves, these dancing and screaming students from this lecture. The group demanded that the university install a number of gender affirming measures. Here, here we go. Here it is. They also asked that any pictures or videos of them at the protest be removed from the Internet. So on that note, let's please run the video again so we can get yet another look at these whiny babies who put themselves out there and now don't want their faces and bodies seen for, for very clear reasons. Put it on the screen again. Let's watch it one more time so that these children can understand the consequences of their actions. Nice. Nice. Tomorrow's leaders. I'm sure. I mean, 
Who would hire people like this? These are people who are going to be going out into the workforce in the not too distant future. And even in the face of this behavior, want to paint themselves the victims, Ian. Well, I don't think we have to worry about them going to the workforce. I'm not sure they're really qualified for much except doing this and eating pizza and screaming about it. But again, just the fact that they say this is what queer rage looks like. This is what queer joy looks like. They're very proud of it when they feel like they're safe, when they're behind the shield of the campus or the shield of the situation. But the moment someone shines even the smallest light on their behavior, they're embarrassed. They want to really recede back into the shadows. They want to claim themselves to be a victim. You can't have both. Either you enter the public space and you engage in this behavior and you have to face the consequences. I was told by the TPUSA chapter that one of the students that was arrested slapped a cop. Like there are consequences for what you do in life. And if you assault a police officer, that's going to come with consequences. These people are just children who have been coddled into the idea that they can do quite literally whatever they want. I mean, ultimately, we've seen Democrats endorse burning down cities and being called mostly peaceful. So I'm not really surprised that people are describing this as peaceful. Uh, the whole notion of peace doesn't really have any real definition anymore. But again, they're just children who are used to getting away with anything. And when someone even gives them the smallest slap on the wrist, they really quiver in fear. They just can't quite believe it. This reminds me of one of the protests at Northwestern. It was either undergrad or law school. And I it was a member of the Bush administration who went to speak there. And the all these people came out to protest and shut the person down. Might have been Condi Rice. I'm trying to test my memory. Uh, and they went to try to shut down the speech and protested. And uh, th the journalism school at Northwestern, that's what it was. It was, it was Medill, went out there, covered the protests did interviews with people, took shots of people who are out there doing the protest. And then they complained that they were being photographed and that their pictures were in the newspaper and that they that the quotes they gave actual journalists trying to document the event were used in the newspaper. And Medill, the journalism school at Northwestern, backed down, <laughs> apologized. They were sorry that they put the people's public behavior out in front of the public eye. I mean, the the infantile mentality that we are dealing mm -hmm. with here needs to be absolutely eradicated. No one can take the knee. They need to be fought. They need to be defeated. This is absolutely disgusting behavior. And that's why I'm glad you stood up to them. I'm glad you ultimately did get, get to give some remarks to some people who are there and happy to have hosted you this morning so that we can get the good word out. Thank you for fighting the good fight. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. Unbelievable. All right. When we come back, Dennis Prager is here and we are going to get into not only what happened to Riley Gaines, which is disgusting, but what happened with these lawmakers down in Tennessee, who the mainstream media right now is painting as these poor, innocent victims who got expelled from the Tennessee legislature. Well, we'll take a deep dive into exactly why they got the boot and it had nothing to do with skin color. Stay tuned. My guest now, Dennis Prager, host of The Dennis Prager Show and co-founder of Prager You, one of my favorite, favorite people on earth to talk to, always full of unique insights and wisdom. Dennis, great to have you. I'm so fired up. We begin the show with what happened at SUNY Albany, State University of New York at Albany, my hometown, with these disgusting students shouting down Ian, who was just there to talk about free speech. They say he's a transphobe because, as he points out, he believes in biological reality and he's against the medical mu mutilation of children. He, so he's not allowed to speak and their profanity, their vulgarity. But what happened to Ian, with respect to him, pales in comparison to what happened to poor Riley Gaines. Riley's done nothing wrong, even arguably. Riley is a competitive swimmer who was in college and was racing in the NCAA tournament against man Leah Thomas. 
Leah Thomas, who is a man who is masquerading as a woman. The Daily Wire's done great reporting on how Leah Thomas's real issues relate to getting off on the feeling of being in women's clothing. So it's a sex thing for Leah Bell, as Jason Whitlock calls Leah. And um, Leah raced against Riley, who's an actual woman, and they tied in third place in one of the one of the NCAA races. They did not let Riley have the trophy for the photo op. They didn't explain it. They just said, we want Leah to have it. So Riley, the biological woman, gets shoved to the sidelines without the trophy and Leah gets all the glory. And that was just the one race. I mean, Leah went on to win and set records as a, quote, woman in several others. So now Riley Gaines has gone from university to university and she's finding her voice, speaking out about this, saying this is wrong. What what is happening to women's sports? And one of the places she just went was San Francisco State University. Good to her. Good for her. I'm sure she knew there'd be some pushback, but she's brave. This gal, she goes and not only was she shouted down, Dennis, uh, but the reports by by Riley, her husband and others, the Independent Women's Forum, who was supporting her there, uh, say she was hit multiple times by a guy in a dress uh, that she was physically assaulted. Riley says I was ambushed, physically hit twice by a man. Uh, and fit, uh, violently accosted and ambushed. Here is the videotape in part of Riley trying to get out of there under police protection. I'm coming. I'm good. I'm good. You crying? You fucking crying, bitch. Dennis, it's infuriating, and it makes me want, as you always say, to fight. I mean, not just to comment on these cases, but to fight, to actively fight these lunatics. Well, it's great to be with you, Megan. There is so much to be said. We could actually do the entire time together on this because it is enormous. Let's begin with the end. Trans women are women. So they are stating that something profoundly false is true. And the society is supposed to accept that. I, I read much of Orwell. He would be shocked at what has actually transpired in the West, that there are students at a university with the backing, I would say, of most of their professors, that biological men are women, that men give birth, men menstruate. I don't know if you know this, Megan, you'll get a big kick out of this. I was on Bill Maher's show in the fall of, of 2019, right before the lockdowns. By the way, I never say before COVID. I say before lockdowns, after lockdowns. Mm. COVID is not the issue. The lockdowns are. I was on the show. By the way, all of your viewers and listeners can watch this. It's on YouTube. It's gone viral. And he I, he was talking about Donald Trump as a liar. And I said, it doesn't compare to the left's lies. And he said, like what? I said, like, America is systemically racist. That is a, that is a grand lie, a big lie. So is that men menstruate. And he started laughing. His, the panel I was with started laughing, and the entire audience started laughing. And he looked at me. You, anyone can watch it. It's on YouTube. 
just do Dennis Prager, Bill Maher, uh, men menstruate. And he said, who says that? To say that men can menstruate is a lie. And that is now, that is what is said. Yes. Wait, 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 where did that I, I never said You never heard it. Well, okay, check it out, folks. This is 2019. This is three and a half years ago. And now, if you don't say that, you are a transphobe. Within two years, it went from absurd to absurd if you deny it. That is the impact uh, of of leftist uh, newspeak uh, on the American people. Another comment, Riley Gaines is a hero. Good cannot be accomplished without courage. And it is the rarest of the human traits, courage. There are many nice people. There are many kind people. There are many honest people. There are extremely few courageous people. But good is not dependent upon people being nice, as nice as that is. It depends on people being courageous. Mm. She's young. She. It took a lot. You remember they told the, the students who were at UPenn on Leah Thomas's swim team, you go to therapy if you can't get behind Leah Thomas. You need therapy. You know, Leah's not the problem. You and your mental faculties are. So most of those women stayed silent. And if they spoke out at all, they did so anonymously. They were worried about not getting jobs after graduation if they spoke up for themselves. So for her to do this is very brave. And maybe you expect you're going to get some shouting, some protesting. You don't expect you're going to be physically assaulted by some trans activist who is a man, who's a man assaulting a woman for standing up for women's rights. That's correct. She is the outlier. All good is done by outliers. These kids are as scary as it gets. I'm going to say something which will probably get picked up by the left. And, uh, but like you, you and I are kindred spirits. One has to say what is true and let the chips fall where they may. These kids remind me of Soviet and Nazi youth groups. I'm not comparing them to concentration camp guards or saying they want to open up in Auschwitz. But if you look at, uh, at what Hitler youth did prior to 1939, in the 30s, when there still was no Holocaust taking place, the way they would disrupt anyone who spoke against Hitler, the, you would, if, if I showed people that video without sound, and said, oh, you know, this is taking place at San Francisco State. Nobody would think a, a, a second about, oh, yeah, oh, the only odd thing would be they, they were probably dressed a little more formally uh, than those today. By the way, you commented on on those in the video uh, who were screaming and, and you know, uh, doing the FU with their finger, their middle finger at the camera. Uh I, I would like to make another point on this that I wrote about and I documented the disproportionate role of women in hurting this society. Uh, uh, they are the major activists among uh, physicians and psychologists uh, for uh, the castrating of boys, uh, the uh, hormone blockers, and the uh, even the, the mastectomies with regard to girls. Uh, they are uh, overwhelmingly the DEI uh, administrators mm, at colleges. And if you saw the demonstration, again, it was overwhelmingly female. Th there is a, uh, I, I would, I would say this when I was at college, when I was at college, late sixties, early seventies, long time ago, 
That's when they came up with the slogan, a woman without a man is like a fish without a bicycle. Well, it turns out that to a large extent, a woman without a man is not a fish without a bicycle, but a fish without water. And if people think that's sexist, let me make something very clear. I think that a man without a woman is like a fish without water. So uh, we need each other. And that is not acknowledged. But if you look at the damage being done disproportionately by women in academia and in medicine and on college campuses, somebody needs to explain something. You know, this is one of the reasons why I really object to what's happening in schools, especially girls' schools like my own. I, I'm fighting actively against any of this trans indoctrination because I do think that young girls, prepubescent tweens into teens, are very empathetic creatures. They just are. And, and it's sweet and it's to their credit. And I actually like that women tend to be more emotional human beings. It's one of the things that makes us beautiful. But these activists, and in many cases, activist teachers, exploit it to shove their own agenda down the throats of these girls, whether it's on the trans stuff or allegedly saying you're a bad person unless you see America as racist, things along those lines. And so I almost feel like it, where the boys are a little tougher, they come into the world just a little, I don't know, maybe it's the way they're raised from the beginning. Maybe it's thousands of years of evolution. Uh, but I, I feel like they're a little bit better at just being like, whatever. And the girls are more tenderhearted and need to be protected against this nonsense indoctrination vigilantly. Otherwise, they turn into these DEI directors you're talking about. I've been saying for all of my life that parents made a terrible mistake only teaching their sons self-control. Every parent teaches, virtually every parent, there's no such thing as every, virtually every parent teaches their son to control two parts of his nature, his sexual predatory nature, which comes naturally to males, and his aggressive nature, physically aggressive. So I've asked people on my radio show, I call my radio show of 40 years, my laboratory of humans, that's where I study humans, people call me. And I talk to them and I've asked many times. So you all taught your sons to control their natures. Did you teach your daughters equally to control their natures? And I, I get a sort of uh, blank stare. What do girls have to control? Well, just as much as boys do. In their case, the ability of emotions slash feelings to dominate them. It's not good for the girl and it's not good for society. For two or three generations since World War II, parents have focused only on boys controlling their natures, not on their girls. Mm, it's so true. I talk to my daughter about this all the time. She's a tender heart. She's tough, but she's a tender heart. And I'll talk to her about the difference between having empathy for someone who's going through something and taking it on as your own. You know, I'll say that's not your upset, honey. That is not your upset. Life will deal you plenty of upset that is yours, that you don't have to start borrowing it from other people. Um, and, you know, you, having a moral code is important in figuring out what is warrant, what, what deserves your upset and what doesn't as well. Who are the real victims here? Is Riley Gaines the victim or are these activists with the middle finger saying you fucking cry and you I'm sorry, but this and that's that's you fucking cry like inner face because, you know, you're not allowed to have the so-called white tears. That's what Joy Reid tells us. Um, if you're a white woman crying in response to vicious activism, that's a no-no as well. Uh, is she the victim, right? Is the, is, is the aggressor? 
And, and really, the moral code requires your children to make that distinction really clearly. So here's an interesting question in light of, of all of this. I pose this often on my radio show. Does the left make you meaner or do mean people naturally gravitate to the left? I'm not talking liberals. I no, always make right. a distinction between Same. liberalism and leftism. And I believe the answer is both. I think that w when you are a leftist, you are more likely to be cruel. And I believe that the cruel are more likely to gravitate toward leftism. Obviously, there are cruel people all over the political spectrum, but I'm making a generalization that I believe holds true. When I speak uh, to young people who've seen PragerU videos or on their own or, or watched me or Jordan Peterson or Ben Shapiro or you or so many others, and they get influenced and they, and they move toward conservatism, every single one, this is fascinating, has said to me, I became a better human being when I left the left. Mm. You know, on your point about the women, Clay Travis and I were having an exchange about this the other day, just privately. I, I don't, he, he, I'm sure he won't mind me sharing it. He probably wound up tweeting about, about it. But he was saying, why, why is it only, like, why have we lionized all these men who masquerade as women? They declare themselves trans. They come over into our lane like Dylan Mulvaney and women just allow it. Women sit back and say, yay, yay, good. You got the Drew Barrymore down on the knee. And it never happens the other way. So forget even take sports out of it, right? Like women who transition to male, like a Chaz Bono, right? Formerly Chastity. Yes, Chaz Bono went on Dancing with the Stars, did a little stint, and that was done. But you can't really name anyone other than that who's transitioned the other way and been totally lionized by men and had brand sponsorships showered upon them the way we see every day with this Dylan Mulvaney. So why do women allow it? The thing with Dylan Mulvaney has crossed over into minstrelsy, right? Is that the word? It's now a minstrel show by a man masquerading as a woman. And we are allowing it and even cheering it why women allow it is is very clear uh, leftism has dictated that you cannot take a stance against this i have also said this all of my life uh, feminist groups as a general rule couldn't care less about women feminist groups care about women as much as the communists cared about workers every every left-wing group uses a group for power and to undo society. They don't really give a damn about the group. Most feminist groups don't give a damn about women. This is proof. This is not a hint. This is not an implication. This is a proof. Most black groups don't give a damn about blacks. And you, you go down the line. They are leftists. That's all they are. And they use the group in whose name they speak to further their power. Why don't more women speak up? Well, because they're afraid and fear is the most powerful human emotion. Look at how people accepted the ruining of their children for two years because damn experts and damn teachers unions said they shouldn't go to school and they, they accepted it and they're not angry at the schools or teachers or teachers unions to this day. Te by the way, in that regard, teachers unions 
care about students as much as black groups care about blacks and feminist groups care about women. It's 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 a universal of the left. Just just a personal note. This was my field of study. I was at Columbia University School of International Affairs. My specialty was communism. In the entire university, there were seven of us, I believe, who majored in in what was called communist affairs. I've been studying the left all of my life. I never, never even imagined, it, it wasn't even raised as a possibility that my background in reading Pravda and in studying communism would prepare me for what is happening in the United States of America. We are moving, and I mean this literally, I, I would happily take a lie detector test. Dennis Prager, do you think you're exaggerating? We are moving to being like the Soviet Union. Victor Davis Hanson is saying the same thing, and, and he's as studied as, as you are. I mean, he's seeing a lot of the same parallels. And people like you who have actually studied history are are jumping up and down saying, trust me, like there's a precedent for this. It doesn't end well. So let me pivot to what's happening in Tennessee because it folds perfectly in line with what we're discussing. In Tennessee, this story is going to be all over the news today and over the weekend. And already, you know, David Marcus, who I, I like, he's a writer. He writes for Daily Wire and New York Post and other publications. He, he's been saying the left will pump this up and the right will ignore it. I, I don't think this should be ignored by anybody. This is an outrageous story, and it's about pushback on out-of-bounds behavior by protesters. In the Tennessee case, those protesters happen to be lawmakers. And what happened in Tennessee was a group of three lawmakers, they're calling themselves the Tennessee Three because they want notoriety, two black men and a white woman, all Democrats, hijacked the proceedings in the Tennessee State House a day after the mass murder that took place there last week at the hands of a transgender activist, right? This transgender uh, person um, went into a school and shot up three nine-year-olds and killed them and three administrators or workers at the school. Um, the story has been largely buried by the media once they figured out that it was a trans person. And the next day, they started having hearings uh, in Tennessee about what should we do? What, what do we do? Is it about guns, as the left was claiming? Is it about mental health? Uh, is it about fortifying schools, which was generally the, the approach taken by the Tennessee lawmakers, which it's a Republican majority, so nobody's surprised. So not getting their way on guns, right? They wanted to make it all about guns. They wanted an assault weapons ban. It's not going to happen. Get out of Tennessee if that's super important to you, because it's not going to happen. It could happen potentially in another state, but not there. Uh, they weren't getting their way. And these two uh, black men and one white woman, Democratic activists who were in the Tennessee State House as re elected representatives, hijacked the proceeding and took to the lectern in the middle of the well without being allowed. They were out of order. They violated procedure. And one of them, a Mr. Jones, had hidden a bullhorn under his coat. This is a lawmaker. He's 27 years old. He'd been an activist before they elected him. He hid in the bullhorn under his coat, went up to the podium, and here's a bit of what happened.
So this is what's happening there, right? This is what happened. They, these lawmakers hijack the proceedings, Dennis, um, work with the protesters in the balcony, start screaming. Nothing can be said. Nothing can be done. It's just an expression of anger and ego. Ego. I would su- submit uh, the lawmakers are Representative Pearson, a Democrat from Memphis, Representative Jones, who had the bullhorn from uh, Nashville, and then Representative Gloria Johnson. She's the white woman, obviously, a Democrat from Knoxville. Now, um, here's what happened. <laughs> they were expelled. The two black men were expelled as lawmakers. You can expel somebody who behaves in a huge breach of decorum or commits a crime, et cetera, as the rest of the legislature. They did so. They did not expel the woman, Gloria Johnson. And now today, the narrative is they're racists because they kicked out the black guys, but not the white woman. And um, this was a, quote, shocking assault on democracy and speech, right? The ones who stood up for decorum, the ones who tried to control the proceeding, shut down the hijackers of the conversation who are out of order. They're the ones who assaulted speech not the perpetrators. L.A. Times, I'm quoting with that quote. They went on to say they, meaning the GOP majority, have no right to silence their opponents, Nashville, Memphis and Knoxville voters. Okay, they have no right to silence them and the people they elect to represent them, not in a functioning democracy that thrives on speech and debate. And they accuse the Republicans of disenfranchising those three representatives, many thousands of voters. So we'll get to the race thing in one second. But let's just start with the complete turn of the narrative. Their voters were disenfranchised, not the seven million Tennessee citizens who whose representatives were not able to debate things like fortifying the school with more security or mental health because bullhorn man thought his one voice was more important. That's exactly right. When they stop people from speaking, at colleges, it is unreported and unknown on the left. And then when we asked for decorum, nobody said he couldn't speak, but you can't bring a bullhorn into your state legislature and start using it and screaming into it, hijacking the proceedings and interacting with a mob that is in the visitor's gallery. Had this been other, let us imagine for a moment that pro-life members of the Tennessee legislature had smuggled in a bullhorn and started screaming pro-life messages to a balcony filled with pro-life activists. Mm-hmm. And then this happened, let us say, in what we call a blue state. And they had been expelled as members for doing that. Do you think the LA Times would have editorialized against it? There is no moral truth There is no truth on the left. Again, something I've said my whole life, because I remember studying it when I studied Pravda, the Soviet communist newspaper. Truth is not a left-wing value. It is a liberal value. It is a conservative value. It is not a left-wing value. And so they will say whatever they can say to win. That is the only question that really plays a role on the left. What should have been done to these people? And as regards the question of race why didn't they expel the white woman well she missed expulsion by one vote people should know that they tried to expel her she was stripped of of a committee uh, chairmanships or memberships uh, in the tennessee legislature and she did not use the bullhorn that was That's the right. reason that she was not 
expelled. But whenever possible, they will say racism. But of course, had she been expelled, they just would have said misogyny. (laughs) So it, it doesn't matter. They got you coming and going. Here's the crazy thing. She got up there along with her representatives in arguing against her expulsion and made those same points. She didn't use the bullhorn, the the megaphone. She didn't yell. They were distinguishing her behavior. And seven Republicans crossed party lines to say she doesn't deserve to be expelled. And yes, by one vote, because they needed a certain number to get rid of any of them, uh, she wasn't expelled. after she distinguished her own behavior as being different from the others. So, yeah, there is a difference between smuggling in a bullhorn and being the chief ringleader of the people up in the balcony and just being a supporter who stood there and didn't yell, but stood next to the guys and supported them uh, in solidarity. And, uh, you know, you should take it up with her because she pointed out her behavior was different. Now, no, she's out there, too, saying it's because I'm white and they're black. Here she is. uh, Again, her name is Representative Gloria Johnson. Why were those two expelled and you weren't? Well, I think it's pretty clear I'm a 60-year-old white woman, and they are two young black men. I, I, in listening to the questions and the way they were questioned and the way they were talked to, Um, I was talked down to as a woman, mansplained to, but it was completely different from the questioning that they got. There you go. Mansplained, talked down to as a woman. She was getting ready to play that card. Let's face it. The truth is she would have loved to have been expelled. She would have said misogyny. And this is just as good. Now we can claim racism and play the victim all over again. I have pointed out again for so many years the charges of racism are almost always false, like in this case. And that is proof of how little racism actually exists in America. I wrote a column, I write a weekly column I have for 20 years, and about, I don't know, about a year ago, I listed more than a dozen race hoaxes on campuses, where if you see racial graffiti racist graffiti on a college dorm door of of a black student, let's say, generally speaking, you can assume either a black student did it or a white leftist. Usually a black student has done it. Why are there so many race hoaxes? The Jussie Smollett is only the best known. Why are there so many? This, for anyone who cares about truth, is proof of how little racism there is in the United States that you need these hoaxes. Here's a question. Were there any anti-Semitic hoaxes in Germany in the 1930s? (laughs) Did Jews ever make up an anti-Semitic hoax to show how anti-Semitic Germany was? Jews would have been blessed if they needed to make up hoaxes. Good point. On that very point, let's go back to this Representative Jones, uh, the one from Nashville. He admitted he's the one who admitted sneaking in the bullhorn under his coat and was a longtime activist before he got elected. He's 27 years old. This guy uh, may be misleading us on an alleged racist incident that happened on the floor right now. So he went out there. um, Keep this in mind as I play this soundbite. All right. He went out there earlier this week and accused a Republican named Gino Bolso of calling him Jones 
a damned disgrace in a private conversation. He said Gino called him a damned disgrace. And that was in the papers. Now, let me ask you, if Gino had called Representative Jones an uppity Negro, I think the papers would have printed that right after damned disgrace. That might have even been a headline. But weirdly, Representative Jones didn't appear to mention uppity Negro in those earlier newspaper interviews. He only mentioned the charge of he called me a damned disgrace. Same guy we're talking about, Representative Gino Bolso. Then Representative Jones goes on with Joy Reid last night. And look how the story changed. He's talking about Bolso here. Watch. The world was watching Tennessee, which is why they were on their best behavior. But even under their best behavior, you saw the disdain, the 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 arrogance, um, you know, the the the. the Basically, I had a member on the floor call me an uppity Negro. I mean, this is the, this is the behavior of our body. And so even with the nation watch, watching them, even with the world watching them, you see the assault on the market that happened. And, and the most extreme example was uh, my expulsion, because it's what it's doing. It's not about me, but it's about the 78,000 people I represent. And later they made clear they were talking about Bolso. So it's it's, it's a little strange, Dennis, that it, it, somehow the remark has morphed or he buried the lead for several days. Uh, I, I got to say, I always think I'm, I'm not using any hyperbole. I always think we've reached the nadir with regard to the left. And then by golly, I'm always proven wrong. Who, who says uppity Negro? Oh my God. It's re- and, and he says, basically, he basically called me. What does that mean? Oh, he, An yeah, actual it, anchor it, it, would have said, what is, what does basically mean? What specifically did he say? So? He, didn't. he didn't. That's what it means. There was another moment uh, underscoring that Jones is incredibly focused on race and has made this an issue time after time. I'm going to pick it up right there, right after the break, and then we'll move on to Trump and some other news. But this story is just unbelievable. Stand by. Dennis Prager comes right back after this short, short break. This guy, Jones, uh, and his two colleagues are playing the race card. Uh, with every publication and in any interview they can. But an interesting moment. It turns out that Jones is very fond of calling the entire chamber of Republicans white supremacists. It can wind up alienating people, as it turns out. So he didn't have a ton of support after his little bullhorn maneuver. Um, But he thinks all the Republicans in Tennessee are white supremacists. That's not a an uncommon belief amongst leftists uh, when it comes to Republicans in today's day and age. Well, there is one um, uh, person of color on the Republican side who stood up and said, actually, Representative Jones, it may be the other way around. Listen to Representative Kumar, the Republican who took on Jones on this charge. In those 53 years in America, I have never encountered a racial slur. I'm really not aware that any of that applies to me. I live a good life. Yet, you on tape call me a brown face. Yes, sir, it's on tape. And what, and what I told you was what you just exhibited as the only member of their caucus who is not of the Caucasian persuasion. I said that you put a brown face on white supremacy. Oh, see, that, that makes it okay, Dennis. You see, he's not the racist. He's the victim of the evil white supremacists, including this man. I must say, the 
great moment of that statement was a term which i admit is new to me the caucasian persuasion <laughs> that you, you have given I, I, did you ever hear of that before that race well, is a persuasion if race is a persuasion then anybody could be a caucasian or anybody could be a black incidentally just parenthetically if we are as we identify why can't i identify as another race why can't yeah. i say i am black i right. this is not meant to be cute if you can identify with something that is as ephemeral as color uh if you if you uh, no if you can identify with something that is biologically stated as different male or female then so much more so you should be able to identify with something that is not as biological which is race but anyway i love that caucasian persuasion mm -hmm. uh, uh by the way larry elder was called in the los angeles times by one of its black columnists the black face of white supremacy this this is what they do if you are a black who is not a leftist you are the lowest form of creature known to the human race on the left because and it's, it has nothing to do with morality or or anything else that is noble if enough blacks see good people who are black and who are republican it could shatter the most important voting block for the democrats it you must keep black america in a frenzy a fright over whites. And and this is why uh, the major newspapers today are spinning this as an example of racism and white supremacy. They will not tell you that the white woman who didn't get expelled lost was not expelled by one vote. They will not tell you that she did not use a bullhorn, that she did not yell, that she was not the main perpetrator of the chaos as the other two gentlemen were. They won't tell you that because they prefer this narrative. The president himself, Dennis, out today with a statement calling the expulsions of these men shocking, undemocratic and without precedent. Uh, his He's horrified that these two men were expelled for bre the breach of decorum. Um, it wasn't so long ago I heard people like Joe Biden absolutely horrified at the breach of decorum we saw on January 6th not just the violence. Take take the violence out of it. They were upset that protesters stormed the Capitol, that protesters were in the Capitol without permission in a, in a shocking breach of decorum. I get it. It wasn't just about the violent protesters. They weren't the only ones who were the subjects of their ire. But this, this is wonderful what these three people were doing. The Tennessee three, rock on, America. You stand up to them, you're a bigot. It's a very, very uh, dark time uh, in American history. Anyone who would observe what those three did, and especially the two expelled ones, if let's say they had been, as I said, the opposite, had they been pro-life people with a megaphone, with a, with a bullhorn, shouting to the gallery, which was shouting back, of course they would have supported their expulsion. Yeah. And, and by the way, so would I. Just for the record, you don't act that way in a state legislature or any right. other legislature. But chaos, this I, this was one of the most important moments in my intellectual inner life. 
I have been wondering, what does the left want? When you say men give birth, men menstruate, America's systemically racist and other enormous lies, what is your ultimate aim? What is the aim of the left? And here is one answer that I do believe. Chaos. Their lives, you pointed this out, in, in, in at least implicitly, with regard to those uh, State University uh, uh, of New York at Albany kids, their lives are in chaos. People with chaotic lives, almost everyone watching us knows this from some relative, where there is a relative whose life is in chaos, and they want to make family life chaotic. The, the, those who are at peace with life and themselves don't do this. The chaotic bring chaos, and th their lives are chaotic. Why are they chaotic? Because of a loss of meaning, that, and that, that can drive people crazy, which is exactly what is happening. Between affluence and secularism, and you could be an atheist and acknowledge this, Douglas Murray is not a believer in God, and he wrote a fantastic book about this. We live in the post-Judeo-Christian world, and a quote which is attributed to Chesterton, but we can't prove it, but it's not my quote, so I, I just have to say it's not my quote, but it's brilliant. When people stop believing in God, they don't believe in nothing. They believe in anything. We are, we are living through that. As I have pointed out over and over, only secular people say men give birth. There are secular people who don't say it, but of those who say it, they're all secular. The irony is the world of reason has been abandoned in the post-Christian world, and I'm a religious Jew saying this to you. That, that is a big part of this movement toward chaos. Men and women are interchangeable is chaos. The double standards, the you know refusal to adhere to any singular principle, like remember the outrage over Josh Hawley lifting his fist on January 6th at the, pro at the protesters who were there, they treated him like he was the devil incarnate. But these lawmakers can go in with the bullhorn cheering on, egging on, inciting the protesters inside the House chamber. That is democracy in action. And any attempt to silence it or maintain a protocol for debate so the 7 million Tennesseans can be heard or have their opinions heard, that that's that's totally different, right? It, the the inconsistency is glaring, and we all know it. And frankly, we've seen it earlier in the week on the whole trans issue to begin with. The murderer in Nashville, Tennessee, was a trans person. It was a biological girl who was now twenty eight years old and had recently decided that she was going to use he him pronouns and was transitioning to male. That we still haven't seen the manifesto. We don't know the full story. They won't release it. Uh, and within days, instead of trans person attacks Christian students and kills three Christian nine-year-olds, not to mention their three teachers, it turned into the trans community is under attack. The White House, within days, talking about we need a day to celebrate trans people. We're with the trans community. It's it's not it's about the Christian. They're angry about the Christian and the right wing outrage at what happened. They're not angry at what happened. And the people down in Tennessee felt the answer to these school shootings is not 
crack down on the guns, which, by the way, were used to kill the shooter. The answer, uh, they believe, is to fortify the schools. That debate was had. They were having it. They lost. The Democrats were losing. They were mad. So they acted like children and hijacked the debate. And once again, the leftist media turns the narrative to to foster one of their other favorite things, which is racism. Now we're back to race. Everything gets turned because the left controls all these methods of discussing these issues. Yeah, they would never headline what what is the truth. First of all, I, I'm not up on this. Uh, are you did they release the report uh, on the on the murders in in Nashville or not? No, the manifesto. No, it's yeah, not the yet manifesto. Out. So that's an interesting question. Why they didn't. My suspicion, I don't obviously don't know this, but my suspicion is it's filled with hatred of Christianity, of Christians, and for good reason, because the only organized opposition to men give birth, men menstruate, girls should choose at 18 or even younger, whether to have their breasts cut off if they say they're boys. The only organized opposition, there are individuals all over the place, is coming from within the religious world, and in America, that generally means the Christian world. You mentioned earlier, by the way, that at the State University in Albany, they ripped up a, a Bible. Is that did I get that correctly? Before I Correct. came on, they did. So here's a here's a thought: Would anybody rip a Quran? And I'll give you an example. There's a very famous or infamous, if you will, art piece by uh, some American artist of a crucifix in a jar of his urine. It's yeah, called Piss, Piss Christ. Christ. Yeah, it's very yeah. famous. Can you imagine anybody doing the same with a Quran or an image of Muhammad? Oh, boy. Among the other traits of the left is cowardice. They pick on people they know won't hurt them. Christians mm -hmm. won't hurt them. So they can do whatever they want. They can say whatever they want. They can hate as much as they want at no price. There's all but a blackout of yet another incident of planned trans violence, a trans person planning yet another school shooting. The Daily Wire is reporting it, but it's not everywhere as it would be if this were a MAGA supporting guy planning an attack on trans facilities or a trans group. Uh, this off the Daily Wire, Colorado law enforcement arrested a transgender person with a manifesto planning multiple shootings at schools and churches. The arrest took place on March 31st, but um, it was just now made public. Uh, it, right at, it was just a few days after the transgender terrorist attack in Nashville. This is a biological male who was going by a female name and she, her pronouns, and wrote down uh, his plans to shoot up specific, I've omitted the names here, but a specific middle school, a specific elementary school, a specific high school, and wait for it, multiple churches. The only reason we know about it is because a family member turned him in. And this will not be everywhere for the reasons we just discussed. And that leads me to this person, Rebecca Jones. Rebecca Jones may ring a bell, but most people couldn't pick her out of a lineup. She's this activist down in Florida who hates Ron DeSantis. And she styled herself as a whistleblower during COVID and said, oh, you know, I've got all these real data 
about the death toll and the disease and so on that Ron DeSantis won't share with you. Long story short, she turned out to be a serial liar. She, in the words of Charles C.W. Cook, a National Review, became famous for raising hundreds of thousands of dollars off the back of a series of brazen deceptions about Florida's response to COVID. She's been arrested for threatening or and, and she was actually she struck a plea deal uh, that agreed she had access computers illegally. And actually, that plea deal required her to pay restitution and get the mental health help Rebecca Jones clearly so desperately deserves. Why am I mentioning her? Because Rebecca Jones has a 13 year old son who was arrested uh, this week, I think it was yesterday, for threatening to shoot up a school. Here's the Pensacola News Journal with the story. Uh, An incident report released Thursday afternoon by the Santa Rosa Sheriff's Office alleges the 13-year-old made repeated threats to shoot up Holly Navari Middle School and to stab students who had angered him. Uh, Investigators interviewed multiple students who spoke with the teen as well as those who saw messages he posted to social media and messages to his friends. He made the following statements. I want to shoot up the school. If I get a gun, I'm going to shoot up, shoot up, hmms, LOL. Uh, I'm getting, it must have been an abbreviation about the school. I'm getting a wrath and natural selection shirt. So maybe I don't think many people know what the Columbine shooters look like. Okay, so it's been like three or four weeks since I got my new antidepressants and they aren't working, but they're supposed to by now. So I have no hope in getting better. So why not kill the losers at school? He told one of his friends that he planned to shoot up the school the Thursday before spring break, but there were too many things going on. So he postponed it to March 31st. The students reported the claims to the school prior to that date. The investigation was launched. And now, yesterday, Rebecca Jones comes out playing the victim. My family is not safe. She tweeted, my son has been has been taken on the governor's orders and I've had to send my husband and daughter out of the state for their safety. This is the reality of living in DeSantis's Florida. There is no freedom here. Only retaliatory rule by a fascist who wishes to be king. Now, it would be bad enough if she tweeted that, given these circumstances. Enter the Miami Herald. Right. With about 30 seconds of research, they could have figured out what had happened here. But instead, they ran with this headline. 13-year-old son of Rebecca Jones, whistleblower who clashed with DeSantis, arrested over memes. Memes, Dennis? I just went through the 10 statements this kid made threatening to shoot up schools, specifically the schools, to his friends, online, in person, exactly why, Columbine, we could go through the list. And that's the headline, which now that it's been publicly shamed, the Miami Herald has finally changed to son of Rebecca Jones, Florida whistleblower, arrested in probe of threatening internet posts. This is what we're up against. This is what we, the American people, are up against. There is no distinction in left-wing papers between the editorial pages, opinion pages, and news pages. And that is just another example. I'll give a trivial one, but it's very, very indicative. So I get Google alerts on my name. I want to see what, what hate has been directed to me on any given day, where, what they say. I find it fascinating. I sleep very well, but I find it fascinating. At any rate, Whenever I'm described, or or for that matter, anybody equivalent in my, anyone similar to me 
in talk radio or in podcasting or whatever, conservative radio talk show host or right-wing uh, radio talk show host, Dennis Prager. And I would then Google, did that newspaper ever say liberal talk show host mm -hmm. or broadcaster yeah. or leftist? The norm for American newspapers, the norm is leftism. Therefore, there's no reason to cite that you're a leftist. But hmm. the other uh, is always noted, and as I gave in the case of conservative. There's one more factor here on this on the Christian issue. Uh, I, I've written a book. Among my books is a book on anti-Semitism. It's called Why the Jews. It's in its third printing. It's been out for decades. It explains anti-Semitism. I taught Jewish history on the college uh, level at Brooklyn College, my first uh, my first uh, job, basically. And uh, I have an interesting question to ask. How come there's a name for Jew hatred? There's a name for Islamo hatred or Islamic hatred. There is a name for race hatred. How come there's no name for Christian hatred? Are there no people who hate Christianity? It is without question the most hated group in, in the world today, with the possible exception of the Uyghurs in, in China. And But there is it doesn't even have a name. So I'm reacting to your pointing out the Miami Herald. We bathe in dishonesty with the American media. Yeah, they won't be honest about what happened in Nashville. Who was the target? of the trans person who shot up that school. Let's talk about it. Why Why was it a Christian school? Why was it Christian children? And more stories like this get buried because they're inconvenient to the narrative. The killer um, of I the do Jews wanna... synagogue in Pittsburgh, forgive me, I just want to say this. The killer of the Jews at the Pittsburgh uh, uh, synagogue is correctly called an anti-Semite. But killers of Christians are not called anti-Christian. The issue is guns not the anti-Christianity. In Let's the case the of Pittsburgh, the issue was the anti-Jewish aspect. Yep. Let's see the manifesto. Maybe it's not in there. Maybe it is. Either way, the FBI is reviewing it. They never take this long in other cases. I don't know what's taking so long here, uh, but I'll be really interested to see it when it finally comes out. I do want to tell the audience, just as an update, the Biden administration has just moved to eliminate state bans on letting trans kids play sports in their selected gender. So there are, I think, 19 states in the union that have issued bans for trans girls. That's usually the way it becomes problematic to play sports against biological girls. It's not safe. It's not fair, et cetera. Now the Biden administration has acted by proposing a new federal rule. It's like an amendment to uh, an interpretation of Title IX um, to say you can't have those bans. Those bans are unlawful. You have to decide it on a sport by sport basis. Um, you could potentially limit certain sports, but you cannot have a ban because we, the admin people within the Biden administration, know better. And if this goes through, it's going to preempt state law. Um, you know, we're supposed to be this microcosm where the 50 states can do what they want uh, as long as they've not already been preempted by federal law. And he's bigfooting them into the elimination of these bans. It's absolutely outrageous. If they do it, there's going to be a revolt. I don't think the states will comply. Yeah, part of me, therefore, actually wants him to get away with that. 
This is an issue where liberals who are unfortunately spectacularly self-induced, I might add, naive, even they understand that this is at the wor- at the best unfair. So I actually would almost welcome this as a national debate. They can't win. The vast majority of Americans, even I would argue probably half the Democrats, think Leah Thomas is nothing but a narcissistic cheat. That's all Leah Thomas is, a cheat. Every one of these males, like, oh, the the best example, the guy who, uh, with his uh, beard, said he was a woman and then lifted 100 pounds more than the, the best woman could lift. Do they really believe that a biological man can compete fairly with women? Ideally, by the way, what I would really love to see is, and this should be the policy of people who love truth and love beauty and love the country and love its values, is to opt out. If girls simply said, you know what, if Leah Thomas swims, we don't swim. Have a great day. But they're afraid. They're afraid of the repercussions. I don't blame them for being afraid, but uh, I've done a lot of work on the issue of fear. Again, I, I, I always I, I make reference to the Bible because I actually think it's wiser than the New York Times, and uh, it it, uh, it has an interesting little statistic. You know what God says the most to human beings in the Old Testament in the Hebrew Bible? Do not fear, and that that should be the guiding principle. Do not fear. Girls' teams should not compete if a guy is swimming. Let him swim alone. Or him, her, I don't care what you call the individual, I care about the fairness to the females. And by the way, uh, J.K. Rowling is beginning to win. Uh, she, she, is. she was demonized, uh, and over, over time, she is being vindicated in her saying that men are men and women are women. Uh, I think that this is this is the first time in my life where the left has picked an issue which they may not win. They are winning in schools because, again, so many female teachers are teaching six-year-olds that they can choose their sex or gender, as they have put it, which is beyond belief. Can you imagine that? You know, they no longer say boys and girls. This has been true for at least 10 years. Most schools that I know of, at any rate, they don't say to the kids, boys and girls. Because they don't believe in the concept of boys and girls. Mm-hmm. On, uh, uh, in the British Tube, the, the subway of London, they don't say ladies and gentlemen. They say passengers. Because they don't believe in the, that the human race is divided between male and female. I mean, it is, uh, it is a dark time we're in. And I just constantly tell people, do not fear. You must fight. You've got to step out of your closet. Because two things happen when you step out of your closet. People who hate you uh, will find you, and people who love you, whom you don't even know, will find you. You want kindred spirits? Get out of the closet. You know, those women are afraid. The the swimmers, the the athletes who don't want to be in the pool would like to stand on the side. They're afraid, as I pointed out, of not getting jobs after graduation. The UPenn girls quietly went on the record anonymously about that. And of showing up like Riley Gaines did and getting physically attacked, reduced Mm -hmm. to tears, and then as if on cue, 
your tears are mocked. You fucking crying. I'm sorry. I'm not supposed to be saying. I mean, I realize we're closing out in the Lenten period, but it's that's how mean they are. That's how nasty they are screaming about her tears after they assaulted her. Then comes the shame that you've actually been reduced to tears by a physical assault by a man. That's how disgusting these activists are. And people are rightfully worried about that happening to them. And yet Riley Gaines's response when she regained her composure um, was to go online, post about it and say, that's my cue that I'm saying the right things. And the more they try to silence me, the louder I will get. And she could use our solidarity. She could use more voices publicly saying she's right. Right. And they're wrong. Um, After this, I'm going to take a quick break. I want to pick up the theme of black conservatives who speak out and how they get labeled the black face or the brown face of white supremacy because they've started back in on Clarence Thomas. And that's another story the left is running with right now. I've got some thoughts as somebody who used to cover the high court and was a lawyer for many years. More with Dennis right after this quick break. We need to talk about Clarence Thomas, who once again is under attack by the leftists who have hated him from the day he was nominated uh, for his Supreme Court post. Uh, Now there's a deep dive by ProPublica, this left leaning uh, organization, press organization, which is accusing him of violating ethical rules uh, by having a rich friend is essentially what it boils down to. This is the reporting for over 20 years. Thomas has been treated to luxury vacations by billionaire Republican donor Harlan Crow, heir to a real estate fortune, who is on the board of AEI. He also sits on the board of the Hoover Institution. Thomas goes on cruises in far-flung locales on Crow's yacht. He flies on his private jet and keeps company with Crow's powerful friends at the billionaire's private resort. Um, They're mad that he went on yacht trips and he's been hanging with Crow and he's been hanging with Crow's, you know, rich friends and so on. And here's just a little bit of the ProPublica reporter trying to explain why this is so reprehensible, Dennis. So we found that Justice Thomas has been taking, accepting luxury, lavish trips from a Dallas billionaire Republican donor virtually every year uh, for over 20 years. Um, So one recent example is in 2019, uh, the, the businessman who go, whose name is Harlan Crow flew Thomas to Indonesia on his private jet and then took him island hopping for nine, for nine days on a super yacht. These men have spent a lot of time together over the years. And what they've discussed and whether uh, Crow has had any influence on Thomas, whether that's directly or indirectly, is still unknown. What they don't tell you is that there's absolutely no ethical prohibition. Uh, in in place that would stop any of this (laughs) or that would require disclosure. One was passed recently in March that updated some of the rules that might require disclosure of the private air travel. But when Thomas was doing all of this, there was no such rule in place. And even the God of legal ethics, the guy who wrote the book, Stephen Gillers, um, only the Wall Street Journal would report this, of course. Um, He's an NYU law professor and an expert on legal legal ethics, right? Uh, He he points out, quote, up until last month, Thomas had a plausible argument that he did not have to disclose that the expenses file under the personal hospitality exception 
um, to any of the rules prohibiting judges from taking certain monies. And by the way, most of those rules don't even apply to the U.S. Supreme Court, but they see an opportunity to get him to make him look corrupt. And they're running with it. That's exactly what it is. I don't know how many uh, people even know, even on our side, Ruth Bader Ginsburg, when she was Supreme Court justice, was in Cairo. The Egyptians were thinking of developing a constitution or a new constitution for their country. And she said, in effect, that the last place they should look is to the U.S. Constitution. So here's a Supreme Court justice who took an oath to guard the Constitution and to act according to constitutional guidelines, who advised the country adopting a new constitution not to take the U.S. Constitution as a model. She gave the South African Constitution as a model, which, by the way, I then dutifully looked up. It is enormous, about 30 pages, and it's got every possible left-wing right that an individual or a society can have. So was this news? What's more dangerous? A Supreme Court justice who goes on a private plane and yacht of a rich man every year on a vacation, or a Supreme Court justice who has disdain for the U.S. Constitution? Yeah, no, they they don't care about that. But of course, any chance to jump on this guy and the left seizes it. I go back again to Joy Reid. Watch this. Supreme Court Justice Clarence Thomas, who's mostly known for his scandalous sexual harassment allegations, notoriously involving Coke cans, and for his wife being an aspiring insurrectionist. Well, he has been revealed to be utterly corrupt, according to new reporting from ProPublica. It found that for more than two decades, Justice Thomas has accepted luxury vacations nearly every year from Republican billionaire megadonor Harlan Crow, And apparently he failed to report them on his financial disclosure forms as he is required to do. No, he's not. He isn't. She's an idiot who refuses to do her homework. It is a theme with this woman. I mean, literally on March 14th, Dennis, they passed new rules for federal judges saying, okay, from March 14th, 2023 forward, all judges must disclose gifts and free stays at commercial properties, commercial, not at the helm of a rich friend, uh, or when gifts of hospitality are being reimbursed by a third party who's not the person providing it, not even arguably this case. The law includes an exception on such reporting for food, lodging, or entertainment received as personal hospitality. The new rule clarifies that personal means a judge has a personal relationship with the host and should not include situations in which the invitation is merely being delivered personally. The ethical rules as just written. There was nothing before. Nothing. He was fine to do what he wanted. Now they've just implemented one a month ago. And this rule is not trying to ban gifts that are the results of friendships or kindnesses. They are trying to hobble influence peddling. They are trying to get judges to disclose when Marriott gives them some gift that's worth $10,000 and then Marriott has a case going up before the U.S. Supreme Court. That's what they're after. And now they do have to disclose gifts of transportation. So the private jet travel will have to be disclosed. But there's not even an allegation that one of those private jet trips has been taken in the past month. Nonetheless, now some are calling for his impeachment. Listen to AOC. I think this is 
an emergency. Um, I think that this is a crisis. I think we've had a crisis for some time uh, on the Supreme Court. I do think articles need to be introduced. If we decide strategically that the actual author of those articles and, and who introduces them may not be me, that's fine. I will support impeachment. But <laughs> I just think that if no one's going to introduce it, I, I would certainly be open to doing so and drafting them myself. I think this oh is uh, gone far, far beyond any sort of acceptable standard in in any democracy, let alone an American democracy. You're too dumb to be in Congress. Too dumb to be. In, and that's saying something. You tell us, Dennis, what is Clarence Thomas's real offense? Uh, that I can tell you. He he's not on the left and he's black. Every time I have a black Republican or black conservative on my radio show or at a PragerU event, every single one, or even privately, I ask them, how do your friends and family regard you? And almost always, uh, it, with a certain sadness, they speak about the relatives who won't speak to them. By the way, did you ever notice it doesn't work in the other direction? How many relatives don't speak to a left-wing member of the family? It's true. Isn't it fascinating? You know that it, talk about crisis. Here's a crisis in the country that I, I, I feel that I'm sort of, you know, blowing in the air or as the Hungarians say, peeing in the ocean. But I will say it anyway, the number of adult children who do not speak to parents in this country because of the parent voted for Donald Trump or is a Republican generally is in the millions, I, I have no doubt. And it doesn't work the other way. It doesn't work because we would have contempt for a child who said, I'm not talking to my father because he voted for Biden. I have contempt for the vote, but... Uh, I also believe honor your father and mother doesn't come with an asterisk depending on how they voted. Clarence Thomas is hated because he's a black Republican. I know Clarence Thomas pretty well. He's a very happy man. And I have a riddle, believe it or not. I've made up two riddles in my life. I don't remember the other one, <laughs> but I know I made up one other. What do you call a happy black American? Answer, a Republican. And it, it, it is so eerie how I've written a book on happiness. I take that subject very seriously. One of my 15 hours of radio each week is the happiness hour. And I've done it since 1999. I, I have a lot of thoughts on happiness. And here, here is one. We know from every poll, including liberal polls, that conservatives are happier than liberals and liberals are happier than leftists. It, it the greatest single thing we could do is have everybody get happier. That would end the left. Clarence Thomas is happy. Jason Riley is happy. Larry Elder is happy. These guys in the Nashville chamber, these are not happy guys. And the the very often the unhappy resent the happy and what we have here is you the resentment putting happiness aside answering your question one final time he has violated the most important political principle of the democrats if you're black you must be a democrat hmm. 
I know happy black Democrats, but they're not partisan. They're not political. You know, there, there's a difference there. Like A lot of people who make p- politics their life enter a downward spiral. And you're right there. You've named some uh, on, you know, black conservatives who haven't gone there. But I do think um, if the more you touch politics and leftist politics in particular, the less happy you get, the angrier you get. We've yeah, seen a lot of examples right. of it. Let's talk as about we saw, as we saw when you showed the video at the State University at Albany. Yeah. Let's talk about Afghanistan because it's big in the news today and it's truly unbelievable. The amount of denialism by this administration about their lowest moment since Joe Biden took office is truly stunning. And it's 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 hard to stun people, but they've done it. They took a look at the Afghanistan withdrawal and how disastrous it was, and they have determined it's all Trump's fault. Joe Biden has taken zero responsibility for any of it, which actually led a spicy press corps uh, to give John Kirby, the Pentagon spokesperson, a rather hard time. I mean, this was the press doing what it ought to do. And we've pulled a bit of sampling from an extraordinary press conference yesterday. Watch this. Does the president have any regrets about how this withdrawal was carried out? The president's very proud of the manner in which uh, the men and women of the military, the foreign service, the intelligence community, I went on and on and on, uh, conducted this, conducted this uh, withdrawal. There were children being killed. There were people hanging off of Air Force jets that were leaving. And you're saying that you guys are proud of the way that this mission was conducted? Does proud it mean of that? Proud of the fact that we got more than 124,000 people safely out of Afghanistan? You bet. It doesn't seem to address the $7 billion in military hardware and technology that was left in Afghanistan for the Taliban. You know who was responsible for that equipment? The Afghans. And the Afghan military, as I said in my opening statement, decided they weren't going to fight for their country. Who's going to get fired? over this. The purpose of it is not accountability. Is this process and document not about accountability? You assign so much accountability to the Trump administration and very little comparatively to your own. After action reviews are done uh, to, uh, it's very common practice, uh, they are not investigations. You got to look at when he came into office, what he was walking into. He didn't negotiate with the Taliban. He didn't invite the Taliban to Camp David. What mistakes does the president believe he made? I'm not going to speak for the uh, president on, on, uh, on that. Nobody's saying that everything was perfect, but there was a lot that went right. And a lot of Afghans are now living better lives in this country and other countries around the world. It goes on, Dennis. I mean, if you look at the, the report, it says um, things like this. During the transition from the Trump administration to the Biden administration, the outgoing administration provided no plans for how to conduct the final withdrawal or how to evacuate Americans and Afghan allies, as if Joe Biden was totally powerless to say, let's come up with a plan before we do that thing. No, it's just Trump's fault for not spelling out exactly how we would do it. And then Joe Biden, this feckless man, was left to just wing it. When I watched this man, the spokesman of, of the Defense Department speaking, another recurring question occurred to me. And and I, all of this is meant literally, not not as attack mechanisms, just as a general principle. Because I write so much on on morality. Is is it a, a lie when you believe what you say? Mm. 
and I, it's a very tough question to answer. If you really believe it, are you lying? You're telling a falsehood, but is telling a falsehood the same as lying? I don't even have a full answer for you. So I, I, I don't know whether this man saying that this country is proud or very proud of the way it left Afghanistan. By the way, I don't think the country should be proud about leaving Afghanistan, period. I was 100% opposed to it. Had Donald Trump done it, I would have been 100% opposed to it. I don't believe Donald Trump would have, whatever agreement he agreed to with the, the Taliban, given the Taliban's behavior, it was rendered null and void in any event. But if he, if Donald Trump had in fact taken out all of our troops and left them with an Air Force base and left them with all that equipment, but I, I, I think of it more on the human level, left all these people to to uh, to abject poverty. There was an article I don't remember which source, and it was about a man who actually sold one of his children to a richer Afghan. Yeah, I think the child was about four or five. Yes. What what we bequeath to them? Girls can't go to school again. Was was is this was this? Uh, uh, what do they say? Uh, advanced physics was this brain surgery to know what would happen to women in Afghanistan if the Taliban took over? We were losing virtually no soldiers in any given year. So let, let's, let's say, make another general principles. Countries where American troops are stationed are blessed. Germany, South Korea, Japan, just to give some examples. And a lot of conservatives who have adopted fairly isolationist views don't think that's a good thing. Well, okay, that's a division among conservatives. So be it. They're still my allies. But it is a blessing. If you think morally, it is a blessing to have American troops on your territory. Let's end on two things. I didn't get your reaction to the Trump arrest, arraignment. <laughs> <laughs> that's happened. That happened this week. Um and just sort of closing thoughts on this Good Friday and where we stand when it comes to our country, our divisions, and our fear. Very quick. Uh, the president of El Salvador really said it best. He said, had, had it happened, I'm paraphrasing, had it happened to any other country, uh, we would have realized that that country was not a free country. It was a dictatorship. That's why I, I wrote my column last week. We're moving towards becoming like the Soviet Union or if you wish, a third world banana republic. Arresting a, an ex-president and the leader of the opposition, nobody in, in America could have imagined this. By the way, there's a, there is a slight silver lining, not much, but a slight one. I have a motto for my all of my work. I prefer clarity to agreement. This is giving people clarity that the New York Times vigorously defended what Alvin Bragg did in New York City is very helpful for people to understand that the New York Times has become our version of Pravda, the Soviet communist newspaper. It just defends the party line. That's all that matters to it. You speak about Good Friday, and of course it's Passover. That's my, that's my basic theme of everything. The fourth volume of my Bible commentary, The Rational Bible, is coming out next year. I pray that people read it. 
nobody writes a commentary on uh, the Bible to get rich, especially mm. five volumes. But it's all there. This is a secular battle, even though there are many wonderful secular conservatives. As I said before, only secular people say that men give birth. The chaos in young people's lives, the belief in nonsense, this is all a result of the lack of a belief in the God and a God, and specifically the God of the Bible and the wisdom of that book. That is the crisis in a nutshell. We need to get back to that, and it's a no better time to start thinking about it or taking that first step. Perhaps you're a lost member of the flock. Just one step back, see how it feels. See if you feel better. See if you feel more enriched, closer to something larger than yourself. A sacrifice that you want to make can be inspired by surrounding yourself with people of faith, and then you feel happier, you feel better, you feel more fulfilled, and your life is more enriched. Dennis Prager, you're the perfect person to have had on the show today. Thank you. Happy Passover to you. And happy Easter to you. Aww. And thank you all for joining us today and all week. It was a big, big week in news. I'm sure we'll keep at it next week. Have a wonderful Easter weekend. We're going to be watching the Ten Commandments, as we always do, and it always leads to the very fun Doug imitations of, you bring a warm smile with your cool water. <laughs> so I'll have that for you on Monday. All the best. Thanks for listening to The Megyn Kelly Show. No BS, no agenda, and no fear.